Good evening, everyone. Come on, we can do better than that. Good evening, everyone. I want to thank all of you for coming out to be with uh, our guest, Ms. Elizabeth Warren. I must tell you, I told her that we would, in Baltimore, she is a shero, and that uh, all the folks in Washington sometimes, on the other side, didn't treat her too nice, that she would get a warm welcome here. Am I right? Thank you. She just emailed us and told us she's right around uh, M&T Stadium, so she'll, you know how it is, coming from Washington, so she'll be here in a minute. But we're going to get started and so, so that we can uh, move forward. And we put the program together the way she asked that it be put together. First of all, let me, uh, I want to thank all of you for coming out this evening and for taking time out of your busy day to attend this town hall meeting on the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, or CFPB, is a centerpiece of the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act that was signed into law by President Obama on July the 21st, 2010. As you probably know, I was on the conference committee for the Dodd-Frank bill. The CFPB was created to provide families all across America with the tools they need to make the financial choices that are right for them. Given that the Bureau will be a brand new entity, the CFPB implementation team has been assembled and is working tirelessly to stand up the Bureau in time for its statutory effective date of July 21st, approximately three weeks from today. I'm holding tonight's town hall me meeting to enable you, my constituents, to, to hear firsthand about this new Bureau, which is being created to be your watchdog. Joining us this evening to tell us about the CFPB is Professor Elizabeth Warren, who was appointed by President Obama to serve as assistant to the president and to oversee the establishment of the new bureau. Many, if not all of you, are, are likely already aware of her outstanding record in public service on behalf of working and middle-class consumers and her scholarship on credit and economic stress. You may also know that she has been named twice Time Magazine, one of, the, one of the most influential people, not in the country, but in the world. That says a lot, doesn't it? I am so pleased she traveled here to Baltimore to be with us this evening. Before I introduce Professor Warren, I'd like to speak briefly about why I believe that the CFPB is essential, not just for the well-being of consumers and for the stability of our financial markets, but also for the future of America's middle class and working families. As you know, millions of Americans are still reeling from the economic and housing crisis. The latest economic reports indicate that despite positive job creation numbers over the past few months, new hiring has stalled and housing prices have hit new lows. These are the lingering effects of the financial collapse that was caused in large part by regulatory failures that allowed dangerous consumer financial products and toxic financial instruments to infiltrate the marketplace. One of the primary reasons for these regulatory failures is the fact 
that prior to the passage of Dodd-Frank, federal consumer financial protection responsibilities were scattered among seven different agencies, each of which had a primary mission, the safety and soundness, that is, the profitability of the banks they, they had to oversee. Consumer financial protection too easily, too, too easily and too often fell by the wayside. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is one of the most important innovations of the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform Act. Because it has centralized within one single agency the mission and responsibility of ensuring that the consumer financial products made available in the marketplace will not lead families into economic ruin. Moreover, the structure of the CFPB ensures that American consumers will have a strong and independent regulator that is accountable to them rather than one that is handcuffed by the influence of financial services, lobbyists, or hobbled by inefficient bureaucracy. To address the root causes of the financial crisis of 2008, Congress established the CFPB to do the following. Ensure that consumers have timely and understandable information to make responsible decisions about financial transactions, protect con consumers from unfair, deceptive, or abusive acts or practices and from discrimination, reduce outdated, unnecessarily, unnecessary or overly burdensome regulations, promote fair competition by enforcing federal consumer financial laws consistently, and advance markets for consumer financial products and services that operate transparently and efficiently to facilitate access and innovation. And as you probably know, the Bureau was the brainchild. Uh, there's nobody who fought harder for this Bureau than our guest tonight. The Bureau is also seeking to level the playing field for smaller lenders like community banks and credit unions, expand, expand financial literacy education throughout the nation, and engage the American public in the Bureau's work. This last item is one of the characteristics of the Bureau that makes it truly unique among federal agencies and is, and is why I asked Professor Warren to come to Baltimore this evening. The purpose of tonight's town hall is not just to tell you about the Bureau, but also to hear from you, answer your questions, and receive feedback. Lastly, as you may know, I currently serve as a ranking Democrat member on the Democratic member on the House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform. Last month, Professor Warren testified before one of our subcommittees. And I would like to briefly quote from her testimony, if I may, because I believe it perfectly encapsulates the Bureau's mission. She said, and I quote, American families know that they are held accountable every day. They have to pay their credit card bills. They have to pay their student loans. They see money disappear from their checking accounts when they make a mistake. And as millions of families have witnessed firsthand in the past few years, when they default on mortgages they cannot afford, they simply lose their homes. American families expect to pay what they owe. But they also want to make sure that the rules are fair and followed. They want an agency that will be accountable for getting that basic job done. And so long as it has its tools, the CFPB will be that agency. And 
end of quote. I believe that the time for this bureau is long overdue. However, it is vital that we work to defend its implementation. Please know that there are those who are fighting against it with everything they've got. And we must fight for its implementation because far too many powerful forces wish it would disappear and are attempting to destroy it before it even comes into existence. The CFPB is truly David, created to defend American consumers against the Goliath that is Wall Street. To provide you with just one example, the Bureau's annual budget is less than 1% of the total amount of bank char banks charged consumers, amount banks charged consumers last year in late fees. Hello, I sound like somebody's familiar. And overdraft fees, that is 329 million against 57.7 billion. That's a lot of money. In other words, the first number, 20, 329 million, uh, our budget, our maximum budget for the agency, the fees charged by banks, 55.7 billion. However, we must not be deterred. It is critical that the CFPB be implemented and set forth in the Dodd-Frank Frank Act to ensure that consumers are protected from the tricks and traps of Wall Street and unscrupulous peddlers of toxic financial products. Moreover, as noted in a letter written by the numerous civil rights, consumer, business, labor, and community organizations in opposition to House Republican legislation to dismantle or alter the CFPB, and they said, if we have learned anything from the financial crisis, it is that strong consumer protections would have reduced rather than increased systemic financial risks. Consumers would have had less unsustainable debt. Banks would have had fewer losses and been more financially stable. The economy would not have been pushed to the brink of collapse. A strong CFPB will ensure that we as consumers can truly, can truly be informed about the financial products we use and that our economy is shielded from the toxic mortgages and credit products that led us all down the road to ruin. And so now it gives me great pleasure to, ladies and gentlemen, I can't tell you, first of all, I cannot even get over my excitement. I don't get excited about too many things. <laughs> but I am, I'm excited. I'm excited about uh, Elizabeth Warren uh, because, you know, when somebody, when you know somebody gives you everything they've got and you feel that they, they just, they, they just, they, they, can't, they can't give any more, that's Elizabeth Warren. Uh, but before she comes on, we're, we're very pleased to have uh, this evening with us the Lieutenant Governor. Uh, to, uh, he's going to address us for a few minutes. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. Uh, first of all, I, I just want to, on behalf of Governor O'Malley and myself and the entire uh, state of Maryland, thank uh, Elijah Cummings, who has been a real champion, a consumer advocate. And his work, his work extends well beyond uh, Baltimore, uh, Maryland, uh, but the country. Uh, and uh, I've had an opportunity to observe him firsthand. Uh, I've had an opportunity to observe him on CNN. Uh, and I can tell you, uh, and I know you'll agree, uh, that there's no stronger advocate uh, for men and women 
on Main Street and Mulberry Street than there is in Congressman Elijah Cummings. And how fortunate we were that when that legislation creating the Consumer Financial Protection Board went to conference, and these are difficult matters, difficult issues, that we had at the table, Elijah Cummings. He understands that, look, if we live in a country where we can regulate the electric appliance that's in our kitchen so it doesn't burn down our house, we ought to be able to regulate the financial products that we sign to get us into the house. And he understands that. He understands the need to take on when necessary the giants of Wall Street. And that's what he's done day in and day out. So let me just close on this because you've got a lot of good information that's going to be presented to you tonight in this town hall. I wanted to share with you this. In Maryland, we've done a number of things to help homeowners stay in their homes to prevent foreclosure. Washington Post said three years ago, four years ago, we passed some of the most sweeping regulation to afford homeowners greater notifications from the banks before they seek foreclosure. And there was some temporary relief. And then we had a subsequent wave of foreclosures. Uh, and then we invested in nonprofit um, counselors, many of whom are represented here this evening. I've worked with you and in, in the community uh, to work with homeowners to keep them in their homes. Uh, we've enlisted about 750 lawyers in the state of Maryland to provide pro bono legal services to those families facing the threat of foreclosure. And all of that had some marginal impact and benefit. But the greatest tool that we now have available, particularly when those are not enough, is the tool that was brought to us in chief by Congressman Elijah Cummings, and many of you know of it, it's the Emergency Mortgage Assistance Program. And I just need to mention this real quickly, because I just left WJZ, we're doing a telephone. Uh, a telethon. Uh, we are encouraging Marylanders to take advantage of this program. Maryland was awarded $40 million under the Emergency Mortgage Assistance Program. For Marylanders that are three months to six months late in a mortgage payment, they can re receive assistance equal to two years' worth of mortgage payments. The thing is, however, we've got to obligate those funds by mid-September. We had the phones ringing off the hook down in the television studio this afternoon. Some real heart-wrenching stories about Marylanders who, for no fault of their own, found themselves either unemployed or underemployed or facing bills that prevented them from making the mortgage. But because of Elijah Cummings, his galvanizing force in the Congress in creating the Emergency Mortgage Assistance Program, we do have relief. So for that, I want you to join me. And I know we're not here to celebrate and praise. We're really here to, uh, to share information. But I'm asking you to join me in our appreciation for this real <laughs> consumer advocate we have in Elijah Cummings. There's a lot of work to be done. You're going to hear about the good things that are coming the protections and rights that are now being afforded to Americans. Uh, so on that note, let me simply say thank you, Elijah. I need to run, so um, I'm going to head out, but uh, I certainly uh, um, commend each and every one of you for being here this evening. I know there's an overflow room. And on that note, I'm going to have Elijah Cummins introduce the guest speaker. Let me, let me say this one thing about Professor Warren. Now, Professor Warren doesn't know me, but... I went to Harvard Law School when she was teaching there. 
okay? And I took contracts law, which is one of the courses that she teaches. And I was a little hesitant whether I was going to be a student in her class. I opted not to be because I know she was tough. I didn't know if I could take it. And what we've seen her do in Congress on behalf of the consuming public really is evidence of how tough she can be, but for the right causes. So welcome to Baltimore, Professor Warren. Thank you so much. I, um, uh, Professor, before you got here, I was telling him how excited I am that you're here. And uh, I'm going to introduce her in just a moment, but we've got a based on the format that Professor Warren, Warren wanted, we're going to have four people to come up and just talk about some issues that they have been grappling with themselves. And then she will give a statement. Then she, there's going to be some back and forth questions with you all. We wanted to make the most effective use of our time. But I, I want to just say what I said to Professor Warren when she appeared before one of our committees about a month ago. I told her, I said, and this was at the beginning of the hearing, I said, no matter what happens during this hearing, please know that there are many faceless people who you may never meet who are rooting for you. Because we know that you get up every day, you put your clothes on, and you go out there and try to make a difference for them. And I want you to go out there and I want you to fight with everything you've got. And we want you to know that we got your back. Give her a hand. <laughs> so before I introduce Professor Warren, we will hear from a few people who have uh, experiences dealing with foreclosure, debt settlement, and other financial stability issues. Uh, they will share their ideas of how the CFPB can best serve consumers. Our first guest will be Mr. Kevin Matthews, who, uh, who returned from Iraq. He served in Iraq. Uh, he's a veteran and a student at Coppin State University uh, who aspires to go to medical school. Kevin is a father and a homeowner in Baltimore. Since his return from Iraq, Kevin has been fighting to save his home, and he hopes uh, that he hopes to pass on to his son and generations yet unborn. Kevin? Good evening. Um, first of all, thank you to uh, Congressman Cummings and Professor Warren. Um, my name is Kevin Matthews, and uh, many of you know my case due to its coverage in the media and through other venues. So I'm not here to retell my story. I believe that in this foreclosure crisis, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau could serve a vital role in protecting those homeowners who are facing foreclosure by making sure that banks and loan services are doing three important things. One, Follow state laws on each individual case. Having a written and computerized copy of all served documents. All efforts should be made to work with the consumer to avoid foreclosure. However, if no resolution can be made and foreclosure is imminent, Ill illegally expediting the process is a direct violation of the law. This is, this is also a violation of people's civil rights. 
Second, there should be an independent agency that would be empowered to have direct control over negotiations between the bank and consumers. I believe that by doing this, the practice of illegal foreclosures will be drastically reduced. I also believe the CFPB can be helpful in getting laws passed that help the consumer, for example. Any lender or servicer that takes an illegal action against a consumer that violates consumer, state, or real estate laws should face jail time and major financial penalties. They should also not be allowed to do business in the state where they are doing these unjust and unfair illegal practices. In my case, like many others, the banks and services have committed so many backdoor and unjust practices. This is the time to regulate and fix the wrongs that have been committed. Even though this process will take time, this form is a step in the right direction. Thank you. Thank you very much. Our next guest is Ms. Marceline White, who is the executive director of the Maryland Consumer Rights Coalition, a nonprofit organization established to create fairness and safety in the marketplace. The coalition advances and protects the interests of Marylanders through research, education, and advocacy. Ms. White. Good evening. Is it going to work? My name is Marceline White, and I'm the Executive Director of Maryland Consumer Rights Coalition, or MCRC. Needless to say, given our mission, as Congressman Cummings explained, I'm delighted to be here tonight. I want to thank Congressman Cummings for his work fighting for the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and for his work with foreclosure workshops to help struggling homeowners save their homes. And I have to say, I am delighted to be in the same zip code, let alone on the same stage with Professor Warren. As many of you know, her book, The Two Income Trap, was really a clarion call for action on behalf of America's working families. It presaged the current financial crisis. And her vision that consumers and families deserve a fighting chance to purchase safe financial products really led to the creation of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. MCRC fights for statewide protections for consumers throughout Maryland. And recently, we produced a film called Stealing Trust, which talks about and captures the voices of consumers, hardworking Marylanders who've lost their homes, money, and their trust in others because of unscrupulous mortgage lenders, debt settlement companies, and home improvement contractors. Tonight, I'm going to leave a copy for Congressman Cummings and Professor Warren so that as they fight on behalf of all Americans, they'll have a few faces in front of them and stories they can continue to remember as they fight for the strong, important Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Maryland families, like those across the, across the nation, have been hard hit in the current economic recession. Families that are struggling to do the right thing, to pay their bills, to have a home to pass to their families, to maintain good credit, are finding that they are a divorce, a death, a medical emergency, or a job loss away from poverty. This is wrong. 
it's abundantly clear that unregulated markets work for Wall Street, but not for Main Street. We need the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau to work for Maryland families and those throughout the nation so that we have someone looking out for us so we can work hard and build our assets rather than lose our wealth to peddlers of dangerous financial products which are designed to deceive. MCRC believes that the following areas are critical ones for the CFPB to pursue. First of all, to, to focus on auto financing. Although auto dealers are exempted from the CFPB, the purchase of a car is one of the most important purchases a consumer can make. And this kind of auto mobility is critical for economic mobility to get people from where they live to where the jobs are. Research and regulations around auto financing will help consumers get the best deal without being taken for a ride. Monitor and investigate new forms of predatory lending, whether it's legal settlement funding where a consumer takes out a high-interest loan against an expected legal settlement, payday lenders operating on tribal lands or loan modification schemes, investigating new scams, issuing regulations, and crowdsourcing stories and solutions will help the CFPB keep one step ahead of the scam artists and protect families. Research into disparate impact. There's been research already into the disparate impact of foreclosures based on race, sex, ethnicity, and geography. This type of research is critical and should be employed on all financial products so that we know and policymakers know and can use the data to inform them as they make appropriate policies and programs. Finally, we really want to see, as the CFPB has already done, information about clear contracts. We don't need to have a PhD or a law degree to understand your credit card statement or your mortgage statement. And last but not least, accountability and consequences. As Professor Warren has said, if we don't pay our mortgage, there's a consequence. If we fail to pay our credit card, we get calls. If we don't pay our bills, our credit scores decline or our wages are garnished. Banks, lenders, and financial institutions need to be held accountable for their actions and for their mistakes, and they must face meaningful consequences. We're here to work with Professor Warren and Congressman Cummings and support Maryland families statewide on local and statewide consumer protection laws. And we couldn't be prouder to be here and help support the strong, a strong Consumer Financial, Financial Protection Bureau. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ms. White. We now will have Lee Tarver. Mr. Tarver is a 75-year-old retired steel worker from Baltimore, Maryland. He worked at Bethlehem Steel Sparrows Point for 32 years. He is a military veteran and served in the Army and Reserves for 14 years. Mr. Tarver. First of all, I'd like to thank Representative Cummings and uh, uh, Ms. Warren for being able to be here this evening to certainly hear about some of these complaints that we have. 
Well, my name, first of all, is Lee Tarver. I worked for 32 years as a steel worker in Baltimore, and now I'm retired. But that's not the only job I had. I lost more than $1,200 to a debt settlement company that told me it would cut my debt and then did nothing for me except take my money. I had some credit card debt, and I saw all kinds of ads from companies that said they could cut my debt. Then one day I got a call from a man in Florida who asked me, would you rather pay 13% interest rate or 6%? Well, of course, you want to pay the lowest rate. So I signed up, and the man told me he could cut my debt. He got over $1,200 from me, and he didn't do anything for me, just took my money. And the settlement firms uh, tell you not to pay this bill, not to pay off that one. So as they are taking money that's supposed to go to pay my debt. So as they, they are taking money that's supposed to go to my, pay my debts, my bills were being paid, weren't being paid. So the debts keep going up and penalty fees keep adding up and I got further and further in debt. I tried to call the man again and again, but he just ignored me. I couldn't even reach him by phone. I wasn't really being harassed by creditors before I signed up with that settlement company that now I am and I'm a lot deeper in debt than I was when I started. These firms that tell you that they can cut your debt, cut your interest rate, if you just send them some money, just don't trust that. Don't do that. I don't care how good the debt deal sounds or what they tell you they can do for you, don't do it. Some people say, I should have known better than to get involved with these people. Should have known better how would I know how these uh, rip-offs artists work? You just don't know uh, how these things work until you've, been, uh, you've seen what they do to you, and then it's too late to get your money back. It seems to me that these firms are a bunch of crooks who just keep changing their names and staying in the same business. If they get in trouble one place, they can just pick up and move and go to someone else or another place. I think we need better regulations that will make it a lot harder for these companies to stay in business. Thank you. Mr. Tarver, I want to thank you very much, and those are the kind of stories that I try to tell in Congress to let them know about the real people, the faces, the ones that they never see. I'm really very pleased to have, and I, we've got one more guest, and then we're going to hear from uh, Ms. Warren, but I, w I wanted to take a moment to recognize uh, Kathleen Murphy. Kathleen Murphy, I'm, I'm so glad she's here. She's head of the Maryland Bankers Association. And 
Carolyn, I mean, Kathleen has been working tirelessly trying to figure out how to uh, work with our office to help consumers as opposed and listen to these stories. And I'm just so glad, Kathleen, that you're here tonight. Give her a hand. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you very much. She could have, she could have easily stayed home and said, well, that might not be my crowd. <laughs> but what she decided to do, she, she, she wants to make sure that she's sensitive to these things, uh, Ms. Warren. And I, I really appreciate your leadership. And we're also very pleased to have uh, Delegate Kiefer Mitchell with us also. Thank you, Kiefer, for being here. Thank you. Our final guest is Ms. Robin McKinney, who is the director of the Maryland Cash Campaign. And I love the Maryland Cash Campaign which is a statewide network of organizations that promote financial stability for working families. Uh, Robin McKinney. Thank you so much, Congressman Cummings and Professor Warren, for your unwavering commitment to American consumers and for putting on this fantastic event. Um, as Congressman Cummings said, we're a statewide coalition that's dedicated to improving the security of working families. CASH stands for creating assets, savings, and hope. And we hope to achieve this by connecting families to free tax preparation and financial education, products that help them to save and to actually build credit and to promote policies that can protect consumers. The CFPB is a new, exciting, pivotal force um, to provide new systems for accountability, transparency, and responsibility uh, in the financial marketplace. We are already so impressed by the openness of the agency and the staff well before the doors have even opened. We hope to continue to see this openness. On the front line, groups like mine, groups like the MCRC, attorney generals, legal services groups, we see the warning signs early. And we want to be able to work with the CFPB to let you know what's coming next. And we hope that the CFPB can track those um, and act on them. One thing we're already seeing warning signs around is student loan debt, both for traditional and for non-traditional students. Student loan debt has actually surpassed credit card debt. Private loans with adjustable rates and balloon payments are the new toxic loans. Students are getting into trouble even with mainstream loans, both based on the loan terms and their own financial capability around managing them. Since student loans can't be discharged like other unsecured debt, they can impose lasting damage to an individual's creditworthiness. We also hope to see increased partnerships across the silos of federal government. Many financial scams and high-cost products are co-located and cross-sold to Americans that can least afford them. We see tax prep, uh, preparation firms setting up at buy-here, pay-here car dealerships, at pawn shops, and at rent-to-own centers. Taxpayers are pushed into refund anticipation loans and checks to get their refund fast and then purchase a car or a piece of, or a piece of furniture that's overvalued and is not a lasting asset. We also see tax preparers who, uh, who use direct deposit to put the tax refund into their own bank account. After deducting substantial fees, as you can imagine. It will take partnerships with the IRS, with Treasury, and with other regulatory agencies to corral these unscrupulous preparers. Lastly, we will look to the CFPB to help us guide us on new standards for financial education. 
Through our program, the Maryland Cash Academy, we certify educators to conduct in-person, fact-based classes. We have found overwhelmingly poor quality in financial education across the state and an influx of former mortgage brokers and other shady folks that offer classes that are merely a shell for expensive products and pricey membership services. Thank you so much for this opportunity, and I have to say, Professor Warren, you're a rock star. (laughs) And so we look forward to having this opportunity tonight and to stand with you and and to stand with the CFPB. Thank you. Thank you. And so now, thank you very much. And so it's now my pleasure to introduce a rock star. (laughs) And, um, you know, uh, I think the reason why I'm so, I was just so happy that Professor Warren um, agreed to come is because I really do believe that she believes that we all only have one life to live. And this is no dress rehearsal. And this is that life. This is it right here. And I believe with all my heart that she believes that it is part of her purpose, not her job, her purpose, to help other people live the very best life that they can. And that's what this is all about. Back in September 2010, President Obama appointed Professor Warren to serve as assistant to the president and to oversee the creation of the new Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Prior to this assignment, she served as the chair of the Congressional Oversight Panel for the Troubled Asset Relief Program. And a lot of you all may not know it, but I sit on the Joint Economic Committee, and she would come before our committee, and we always knew that we were going to get straight talk borrowing some words from the president, she didn't necessarily tell us what we wanted to hear. She told us what we needed to hear, and it was the truth. Professor Elizabeth Warren uh, is the Leo uh, Gottlieb, Gottlieb Professor of Law at Harvard University. She's written nine books. I'm just trying to get my first one done. (laughs) It's hard and more than 100 scholarly articles dealing with credit and economic stress. Her latest two books, The Two-Income Trap and All Your Worth, were both on the national bestseller list. As I told you a little bit earlier, Time Magazine has twice, twice, and hopefully maybe three or four times in the future, has named her one of the top 100 most influential people in the world. Professor Warren is widely credited with proposing the idea of a CFPB in her seminal article, Unsafe at Any Rate, which was published in in the journal Democracy back in 2007. She is indeed a visionary. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a very, very, very warm welcome to our friend, our advocate, Professor Warren. Thank you.
I, I cannot tell you how pleased I am to be here tonight. I have to say, for someone who has been a lifelong teacher, uh, uh, and I teach those, those really rock'em, sock'em classes like contract law, uniform commercial code, uh, and bankruptcy, to be called a rock star twice in the same evening <laughs> is a little heady. Uh, so, um, but I am so pleased to be here tonight for three reasons. The first reason I am delighted to be here is I get a chance to talk about the consumer agency. And I love talking about this consumer agency. And let me tell you just the very short version of why. It's because it really is good. It has the right tools, the right pieces to get the job that it needs to do done. And I want to say whatever people say, I know you read things back and forth and in the press and so on about, well, Dodd-Frank did and maybe it did. and What do we think about what happened on derivatives? I've got to tell you about the consumer part. That part is strong. It is right. It is true. And we owe the Congress that got it passed. We owe the congressman who helped lead that fight. And we owe the president of the United States who stuck firm by this agency throughout. A really big round of applause every chance we get. So I come here tonight to be able to talk a little bit about it, and I get to do that with real enthusiasm. The second reason I am here tonight and delighted to be here tonight is because of Congressman Cummings. Um, you know, there are, uh, Washington has been an experience for me. <laughs> I had never thought I would go to Washington. I had never thought I would serve in the government. Um, I, I'm a teacher. That's what I do. And I do research. And I speak my mind uh, because that's what I've always done. Coming to Washington, parts of it have been tough. But to know that even on the days when you think, is there no one here? who actually wants to get something done? <laughs> Is there no one here who wants to look at the things that are important, that matter? Is there no one here who, who has the capacity to listen to his or her own heart anymore? I think about Representative Cummings, who has repeatedly in public and in private, said to me, I got your back. Um, without that, there are days I might have given up. I don't know, but I might have. Um, days that would have been a lot tougher. Days that you say, this is, this is too hard an uphill pull. But when there's someone like the congressman who's there, whose intent never wavers, and who is strong uh, on these issues, I know, I know for a fact, we can get the job done that we need to get done. And so I say, I'm here tonight because of you, and thank you. And the third reason I am here is precisely because of the people who spoke and the people who came here tonight to hear about this. Um, I grew up uh, not, 
not in Maryland, I grew up out in Oklahoma. Uh, we grew up without much. We hung on at the ragged edge of uh, what we hoped was the middle class, sometimes there probably and sometimes not. Um, my family struggled. And I'm the product of a public education, a, a city college uh, down at the University of Houston, $52 a semester tuition. <laughs> Those were the days. Um, I made it on a kind of scrap together of student loans and part-time jobs. And I ended up able to teach at a place like Harvard Law School. Uh, first time I ever set foot on the campus at Harvard Law School was when I had a job to teach there. Um, it wasn't the world that I knew or had been groomed for in any appropriate way. To me, that's what it means to have faith. Um, it's faith that we live in a country, in a world, where you work hard, and there are chances that open up in front of you, and you do your best, and pretty much good things happen. I got really lucky on the good things, but by and large, the faith that those who work hard, who play by the rules, are, are, are entitled to a decent chance in life. I feel like that's a part of what this agency is about. There's a lot that's broken in America, a lot that we will not be able to fix at the consumer agency. We've got problems around flat wages. We've got problems around how we pay for health care. We've got problems in a lot of different areas. But one problem we don't have to have is when we do our basic financial transactions, when we borrow the money to buy a home, when we borrow the money to go to school, when we open a checking account, um, when we just engage in the basic financial pieces around our lives, we shouldn't have to worry. We shouldn't be asked to sign documents that we can't read, that are designed not to be read, that have surprises hidden in the back, tricks over here, traps over there. We shouldn't live in a world where the price of what we're getting ready to buy is not clear, where the risks are hidden from sight, where fine print makes it literally impossible to take three credit card agreements, compare them to each other, and tell which one costs the most or which one is the riskiest. That's not right. And it's not right if you want to take a basic economic position. Families should be able to ask two basic questions in any market. Can I afford this thing? And you can only do it if the prices and risks are clear. And secondly, is that the best deal I can get? You should, those are pieces you should, any economist would tell you, that's what we need to have a working market, and that's what we're driving toward. But I will also tell you, that is what it takes to have a working country. That's what it takes to have a working people. We have to believe that we can accomplish that. So I am here tonight for a third reason, and that is to keep faith with all the people who stood behind this little agency when it was just an idea, who fought for it by the time the president had proposed it and it became part of Dodd-Frank, 
that it made it first through the House. The House gave it the wind and the sails. We finally pushed it on out of the Senate into conference, and on July 21st of last year, the President was able to sign it into law. I'm here tonight in part to say thank you to those of you in this room who are part of that and to say the same spirit that got us this far has to be the spirit that carries us the rest of the way. Um, we are an agency that is born with enemies, with those who do not want us to exist, uh, who do not want us to be strong, who do not want us to be independent. There are those who make substantial money uh, in a world in which there is chaos, there are no rules, uh, it's the Wild West of financial products. Um, there are those who philosophically are attached to the idea that government can never work, that uh, government is synonymous with ineffectiveness, with uh, uh, at best bureaucracy and at worst uh, waste, fraud, and abuse. Um, what we have the opportunity to prove with this consumer agency is that we, in fact, can get a job done, that we, in fact, can believe in what we can do together. And that's what this agency creates for us. It creates an opportunity. We didn't get this agency because there were powerful lobbyists who stood behind it. We didn't get this agency <laughs> because there was an industry that put lots of money or lots of a big fancy advertising campaign. We got this agency for two reasons. One is because it's right, and two is because people, people from all around this country, people who were organized in small groups, made emails and phone calls, showed up at meetings, uh, wrote letters to the editor, because people said, I care about this. So now we have an agency. It's about to go live. And the important thing that we're going to do is that we have to stay together on this. You have to stay part of this agency. Because if you drift away from it, if no one cares, then the answer is it can be taken down. What we have built can be taken back apart. So what we're here for tonight is I want to be able to tell you about the agency. I want to talk about what it can do. I want to talk about what our plans are, what our dreams are for this agency. But most of all, I want to thank you for having been part of bringing us this far. And I want to beg you to stay part of where we go from here. So with that, we'll stop and we'll do questions and answers. So that way I'll talk about the things you most want to hear about. So thank you. We, are, we have a microphone right here. Uh, Paul, put your hand up again. She's right, standing right there. Um, we are asking that you ask questions. We're not trying to get your history. Um, but we just want to get to as many people as uh, we possibly can. Uh, so who will be first? Uh, no, I'm going to, you're going to, oh, you got to, okay, good. Who's going to go first? All right. Hi, <clears throat> Dr. Warren. Um, I wrote you a letter many years ago about political sheepdog, 
Uh, I remember. You're a political yes. sheepdog? Yes, I am political sheepdog. Hello, she- hello political sheepdog. <laughs> it's been a hard time. It's been uh, totally ignored by the media. But um, if you want to turn, protect your agency, and you want to protect consumers in general, why not use the revenues of the people who are trying to corrupt the system against them? You know, as but anyway, I just wanted to introduce myself and give you my card. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. It's nice to see you, political sheepdog. <laughs> Next. Yes. And, Hi, and, Michael. And thank, and thank you, Congressman, because if you're the rock star, he's the promoter. That's he true. He here. So we just want to stand here together. Uh, thank you for that. <laughs> you know, a, along with all of these things, there's a, there's, a very, there's a hard burden in the urban communities where we not only have food deserts, we also have banking deserts. Yes. We do not have banks in a lot of our communities, and I know that the congressman has been working to make sure that we can address these. But what we have is we have payday lending, pawn shops, check cashing, predator lending uh, institutions that are not only, and we know from the, from the, from the research uh, that an uh, average store only costs around $300,000 or $150,000 to open up versus a million five to open up a bank. The difficulty we have is they are, they're pouring into the community at an alarming rate. And I know, obviously, I'm, I'm well aware of what the congressman and even my delegate, uh, uh, Keith Mitchell, is addressing it. I just want to know from your level, what, what do we do? And I know from, P, uh, from, from the different folks cash and different folks that are here, but I assure you that in the street level, there are no banks whatsoever, or if there's a bank, I just w- wanted to know what happened to the Reinvestment Act when the banks who were supposed to reinvest in our communities, and I appreciate right. you coming. Okay, so this is, a, this is a great question you've got. There are a lot of different pieces to it, so I'm going to see if I can do two or three that are relevant here. The first one here is I, I want to talk a little bit about what the consumer agency could do. I take all these questions and use them for teaching moments here. So what, what can the consumer agency do? The consumer agency takes 19 federal statutes that are out there that have bits and pieces of consumer financial law. So like the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act and Truth in Lending, and there's some housing statutes that have pieces in it. Those are right now monitored by and enforced by seven different federal agencies. Yeah, and the consequence is when everybody's responsible, nobody's responsible. So we've had overlap, we've had inconsistency, we've had big gaps, not because anybody's bad, but of those seven agencies, none of them have as their first job taking care of consumers, looking at these laws from a consumer's point of view and enforcing these laws. So the first thing that happens with this new consumer agency is all of those laws on July 21st, just a little, what is it, three, a little over three weeks from right now, all of those laws will transfer to the new consumer agency. And that will give us the ability to have in one place, when I said all the tools, the tools are in one place. But a second thing happens that's really important. Those laws at the federal level right now are largely supervised and enforced only against banks and credit unions. So they bear some regulatory costs. And, uh, uh, but the, what are called the non-bank lenders, the payday lenders, the title loan folks, the check cashers, private student loan, all of those folks have been, in effect, gotten a free walk at the federal level. So it's been left entirely up to the states, a kind of hodgepodge of state laws. Maybe there's someone to enforce, maybe there's not. Maybe there's some laws, maybe there are not. And what's happened, not surprisingly, 
is the banking industry, particularly the community banks, who've had to carry much of the burden of regulation, have shrunk in numbers, while the, the unregulated portion of the industry, or lightly regulated portion of the industry, has grown and grown, and grown particularly in moderate income communities, working communities. And so what this agency does is its second really important power is that it now will enforce the laws across both banks and non-bank financial institutions. This is the best part. For the first time ever at the federal level, there will be someone out there to say, we're taking a look, we're monitoring, we're supervising, we're enforcing the law for the payday lenders, for all the other non-bank financial institutions. And I want to point out, that's good for families, that's good for communities, because remember, in the case of predatory lending, it's not just how it destabilizes families, it's that it sucks that money out of communities, and that money does not come back into the communities. But it is also good for the banks, who now are competing on a more level playing field. So the, the key thing I want to say about this is I completely get your point. Uh, yes, it is important that we focus on the non-banks, and now I want to say one more thing, because this is why it's important that we all pay attention here. I don't want to take you all the way through the legal parts of this, uh, this law, but I have to tell you one little part. There's a, a, a peculiarity in how Dodd-Frank, uh, how the law is written on the consumer agency. Come July 21st, we pick up the transfer of authorities from those other seven agencies and now have supervisory rights over all banks and credit unions. It is only once we have a director that we pick up authority over the non-banks. And that means if Congress blocks the ability to have a director for the consumer agency, the non-banks continue to walk. So the next time you're reading, the next time you're following this, I, I just want you to understand we are at a pivotal moment on this issue because part of the huge promise here is the ability to be able to deal with the non-bank financial institutions. It is crucial we get a director to be able to do that. So, Very good. Very good. Yep. so, so now, now you, now you kind of get why there's such a fight. Yep. Trying to block the appointment of the director of this, the permanent director. So we, I, I just, I, I just want you to know this is my candidate. No, no, but no. is she? <laughs> I, I didn't say she was going for it. I just said she's my candidate. Because right. <laughs> I know I see the Sun people. They'll write that. It'll be the headline tomorrow. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, I want to thank you uh, first of all for uh, hosting this town hall. Also, I want to thank you for your, uh, your vote on uh, McGovern-Jones to bring the troops home. Yes. That's an economic situation, in my opinion, besides a human rights situation. But, uh, uh, and I want to thank uh, Elizabeth Warren for coming to Baltimore. Uh, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but the forces of greed are declaring war on many of us in this room. And we've got to fight back. We've got to hold the, stick together and do something about this. My specific question is, I watch the Sunday talk shows and why don't they ask the tough questions? Why do they allow these answers from members of the forces of greed? Why does this 
uh, why is it happening? Is there something we as consumers of television and the talk shows that we can do something about it? Sir, I have to say to you, um, I can actually figure out most of how a 260-page document reads. I cannot figure out the Sunday talk shows. Uh, I'm, I know my limits. Uh, I'm, so all I can say, and I, but I really do say this, is the key is just keep using your voice. Um, write, email, show up. People actually pay attention to this. They count. They count the number of emails they get. You, you wouldn't believe this. But stay online if you can. Uh, email, email about news stories. When you see a news story that you think fairly represents an issue you care about, send a response because the assumption is for every one person who responds, there were many, many more who had the same point of view but didn't respond. And the more you respond to stories, for example, about all the things we talk about on consumer credit, about payday loans, about mortgage servicing fraud, about whatever it is, the more that people will write about it, the more that people will talk about it. The way we break the monopoly on bad ideas and that they just keep talking to each other is that we make our voices heard, too. So please do that. Please do. Thank you very much. Next. Yes, sir. Hello. My name is uh, Hassan Amir from uh, Better Job. <clears throat> Good Job, Better Baltimore. What is done to create better jobs for Baltimore? Yeah. What has been done to, to create better jobs for Baltimore? We've got a pretty, we've got a pretty difficult situation, not only in Baltimore but throughout the country. I think um, the president has been pushing very hard to try to do some things to stimulate our economy. A lot of people uh, claim that the stimulus bill didn't do very much, but I can tell you for a fact, I've done, I've been to so many things where people have gotten jobs because of the stimulus bill. Uh, we're going through difficult times right now, and, and you know it's no need to sugarcoat it whatsoever. Um, and I think we're going to continue to go through some difficult times for a little while. Um, and I, but I think that the kinds of things that Miss Warren is talking about is going to do something that you know my mother used to talk about. She said, that, "What is a penny? A penny earned? Penny saved is a penny earned." One of the things that we got to do is try to learn how and, and, and try to hold on to what we do have. And so that it just does not just uh, disappear on us. One of the things, um, Elizabeth, I live in the inner, inner, inner city and not too far from here. And one of the things I noticed is a lot of times, I think Michael uh, asked one of the first questions about banks in, our, in these neighborhoods. One of the things I've noticed is that a lot of times the people who live in my neighborhood, uh, and for you all who don't know, I live on Madison near North. Not in Madison in New York, Madison near North in Baltimore. <laughs> Um, but they pay the most for everything. They pay the most. They, they, I mean, and, and the f food, they pay the most. They, and, and sometimes the food is not all that it should be. Uh, for trying to get from one place to another, that transportation, all kinds of things. Uh, a lot of times the rent is high, very high. And so some kind of way, one of the things I try to do is try to figure out ways for people to hold on at least to what they've got. But I tell people, too, that we're going through a storm right now, and the question is not whether we'll get through the storm. The storm will cease. The question is who's going to be living in their house after the storm is over. 
and who's going to have their job and whether their job is going to exist. And so I think the mayor's working hard. A lot of us are trying to figure out everything we can to bring as much to Baltimore as we possibly can. But there's another thing, and then I'm going to want to get back to Ms. Warren. One of the things that I, that I sit on this Joint Economic Committee, and I know you know this, uh, Professor, just based on your, your background, the recession, the, the less education a person has, the more the recession affects them. If, some, if we, we've got to make sure, and I, if we get our kids out of high school, We've got to make sure we get them a college education yes. if we can. Because I, I don't care. Every, every month when we look at the job reports, I'm telling you, the, 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 the folks, the, the more education you have, I don't care what color you are or what your background, the more likely is, is that you're going to have a job. So we've got, we've got some work to do, a lot of work to do. And, um, but that's about the best I can do with that one right now. Yes, ma'am. In the case of the... <laughs> federal student loans. There's no legal counsel available for people trying to deal with the collection companies that have been authorized as agents of the United States government. And I was wondering if the Bureau could address this lack because I've pretty much lost my free will and my future to these people and I know I'm not the only one. So I, I will say that the good news is this new agency will have jurisdiction over student lending. Uh, this is a significant part of what we will do. We will have jurisdiction as soon as we have a director uh, over it. And that gives us a chance to look at, at all the aspects around the debt, including what the student or prospective student is told at the beginning about the costs and the structure, all the way through the debt collection process, and I should say credit reporting process, at the other end. Um, so we have hired some really terrific people who have strong passion uh, around this set of issues. And the bad news is it's going to take a while before we get there, but we are going to get there on student loans. Um, it's such an important topic. It will be about collection going forward from that point would be the main, that that's what we'll be able to do. Okay, thank you. Trudy, what I want you to do is I want to, that's just going to be the last, the last person in line, make sure that's, so that we can get to all the people who are in line, okay? okay. Um, on that student loan situation, a lot of people don't realize it, but we see it in our office all the time. It's so sad when students, young people, are saddled with debt because what, what, well, you know what that does? They can't buy a house. Because they're so busy paying debt. We see it in, in, in my own office. Um, and some kind of way, that student loan debt, we've got to, those are the kind, that's the issue that we've got to deal with. Because I want our young people to be able to come out of school and, and move forward as opposed to be sat, saddled for 10 years or more sometimes trying to pay off a debt. And, and that means that they are stuck. And I'm very sensitive to that. And uh, as a matter of fact, we've been looking at some issues in my committee. And hopefully we will we'll be able to resolve some things and help out. Yes, sir. Yes, hello. Uh, as you know, there's a growing uh, call across the nation to re-regulate the banking system with the original uh, FDR Glass-Steagall legislation. And the problem, though, is that if this is not enacted immediately, we're looking at a financial meltdown, which you see reflected in Greece. So the question is this. With 20 congressmen, 
over 20 actually, adding their names to this legislation. And I know that you support the principle, as you've said, stated many times, and you support regulation. The question is, would you add your name? And I'm actually surprised that you haven't, because a number of leading congressmen like George Miller and um, Maxine Waters, who are also ranking members and, and subcommittees, et cetera, are adding on to this bill. But the, the problem is this. Tomorrow is the beginning of the new fiscal year. If the U.S. government cuts the budget to cities and states, which have to balance their books, while we're pledged with $20 trillion to bail out Wall Street, and we don't make a dramatic change, cancel those bailouts, isn't the danger that the citizens of this country would go into the streets like you see in Greece if they see no hope from Congress. So I'm asking you, Congressman, if you would add your name to the Glass-Steagall legislation. I, uh, as I told you, as I've told you many times, um, and I really, no, seriously, I appreciate you showing up for, for all my town homes, and, and you've asked me, you're right. Uh, I support the legislation. That doesn't necessarily mean I want to be a sponsor. Just, you, can, you can support something without being a sponsor. I, I'm, I'm going to take a look at it. I'll take another look at it. Um, but I do support it, okay? You, you, you understand that I don't have to sponsor it. That doesn't mean I don't support it, okay? All right, we'll talk. <laughs> I love you. Next. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Brandon Carver. I'm a Baltimore City resident and a public policy student. Um, and I'd like to say thanks, Congressman Cummins, for your constantly being supportive of health and education and all the stances you take. And Professor Warren, you are a rock star. I, I called my friends. I was like, guess who I'm going to see tonight? Like, it was really actually kind of embarrassing almost. Um, <laughs> you better watch that. People are going to think you're a nerd. <laughs> um, I'd like to say I'm, I was really encouraged by what I heard today, and I'm all for a CFPB and getting greater information to the consumers. Um, I think in particular that better informed consumers lead to increased consumer confidence, which leads to better spending habits, yes. which increases demand, which will bring jobs in private sector jobs. So I think that's great. Um, but my question is, what particular are the sort of the, the instruments and tools you're going to use to make sure that, that whatever increased regulation that comes does not then give an opportunity for businesses to just pass this back on to consumers? Right. So. I, I'm going to do a, a short version, but there are layers within this. Uh, but here's basically how it works. Um, I actually really believe in markets. I mean, I really do. I believe that if there are folks competing, banks competing for your business, that that's the best circumstance for the customer. I think it's true on buying jackets. I think it's true on buying shoes. I think it's true on buying bananas. I believe this. But here's the deal. The consumer credit market is broken. It's broken because people can't see prices up front. They are deliberately obscured. We have moved from a world where the prices were simple and straightforward. A credit card agreement in 1980 was 700 words, page and a half long. All right? Look at credit card agreements today. The price was clear on the front of it. Today, the price on the front of... Uh, 6.9% financing on the outside of the envelope. 4.9%. 2. Point, we are giving it away. Yeah. Does anyone believe that was really the business model? We are giving it away. The answer is we are giving it away because we know we're going to make money on the back end that you will never see. So what this consumer agency is about is, is the idea that we say, wait, wait, wait. The price has to be clear up front. You've got to mow down the fine print and make the price clear up front so the consumer can say, wait a minute, 
Yours is 12, yours is 14, and yours is 16. That's what drives markets, in my view, to the right place. And the right place maybe was never 0% or 2% or 4%. It's the place where you really are recovering the cost. What I also believe, and I believe this from talking with the community banks, with some of the very big banks, who say, you know, we've really been caught in a trap. Because the trap we're now caught in is when the guy, my competitor, is advertising 0% financing. Nobody wants my product at 11%, which was a fair price, or 6%, which was a fair price, because it looks like I am so much more expensive. So what I believe around this is that we have enough people and enough new ideas and old ideas in the banking industry, and I say old ideas, kind of good old-fashioned traditional banking, that there are people who will offer fair products at fair prices if consumers can see the difference, if consumers can punish the predators, if consumers can punish the high price by just staying away from them, then what starts to happen is we have a market that starts to work, like the market does for jackets, like the market does for shoes. You get what you pay for. In that case, it's not about passing back to the consumer some notion that, well, that's just how much I think I need. No. You get a fair profit because you can't stay in business if you don't have a fair profit. I get that. But the market will keep it driven in the way that works best for consumers. So I think that's how this one is really going to work. I think that's where we start this. Good products and well-informed consumers. And we can start to drive the world. We can. Thank you very much. Thank you both for coming. This is great. Here in Maryland, the Office of Financial Regulation is audited by the General Assembly. And in the past 15 years, it continues to not meet its regulatory mandate for, very, for various reasons, including performing audits in a timely manner, uh, verifying applicants for mortgage brokerages, money lenders, whatever, um, and conducting proper background checks for those applicants, and properly accounting for various fees. Um, what national program of credentialing of competency of state regulators is a CFPB going to institute to ensure state agencies are doing their job? And lastly, can you address uh, regulatory capture, All which right. is a, a small topic? Yeah. Right. Uh, Thank you. So let me just give two parts to the answer quickly. We are, once we have jurisdiction over the non bank financial institutions, we have now taken already, we're not yet a uh, an agency, we have already started down the path of beginning to get some supervision directly over them. And the question has to do with something called defining larger market participants. We've put it out for comment on our website. But the point is from here, we, we will have the ability within the consumer agency to begin the process of identifying who's in the marketplace and supervising directly their behavior in the marketplace. We are reaching out to the states because we want to cooperate with the states. We want to be partners with the states. But whether the states are active or not, we have an independent responsibility under federal law, thanks to the new Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. So that's the first part. Part two about regulatory capture, I just want to say this. Everyone understands the principle. You start a new agency with good intentions, 
And then after a while, it seems to belong to the people that you were regulating rather than the people you're supposed to regulate on behalf of. I worry a lot about that. Uh, I think a lot about it in the structure and design of this agency. And I just want to tell you a couple of the things we're doing. We're trying to build at every point in this structure how it is that this agency will continue to be responsive to our single customer, the American people. But there are two parts to it that are just small ways in which we, not small, they are critical ways in which we do this. One is we hang a sign out front on what we're doing every day. Not just that we're doing for consumers, we're saying here's what we're trying to do in general. We want you to understand, we're trying to make prices clear. We're trying to make risks clear. We're trying to mow down the fine print so you can compare one product to two or three others. Why do we put that out front? Because when you hang it on the front, it is hard to back up, no matter how much pressure you get from those with money and those with power. It is hard to back up. The second part is we are doing everything that we possibly can at this consumer agency, naked for all the world to see. I mean as transparent as humanly possible. So let me ask everybody in this room, if you get a chance when you go home, Go take a look at our website. Again, we're not even live yet, but, but we are lively. Uh, <laughs> www.consumerfinance, all one word, .gov. Okay, it's not really catchy, but, uh, but it'll work. Consumerfinance.gov. And I'll just give you one, one project we've already started on. We made history a few weeks ago. We are moving toward changing the mortgage forms, trying to make them simpler and easier for people to read and see. It's fabulous. But the usual way that's done is behind closed doors. Not us. We set the thing out as an idea. We started talking about it last September. We talked about it with banks. We talked about it with credit unions. We talked about it with mortgage brokers. We talked about it with community groups. We talked about it with consumers whenever we could be out and talk to people. We worked that project forward. We now have two samples of how it might be done. And we ask people to come to our website and vote on which one they like and give us feedback. We have now taken that feedback. We're in the 2.0 version. We've reposted based on we got 100,000 hits, which, you know, I mean, when you're doing mortgage documentation, you know. Uh, and we got more than 14,000 people who stayed and filled out detailed. I like this part about this, but this part's not very clear. We're now on a second version of it. I ask you to go and take a look because that means this agency belongs to us. And that's how it stays. Every time you check on that website, by the way, you can click on there to be, to be a follower. So when we put up new stuff, we'll let you know when we're posting new things for comments. We're going to do it out there in a way that you can... You can see it from the beginning. It's the best way I know to deal with the fear of regulatory capture. One of the other things, too, is that, you know, I hope that you will go to that website because uh, Ms. Warren, uh, Mr. Issa, who is the chairman of our committee, has asked uh, Elizabeth Warren to come back to the committee on July the 14th. And, it's not, and he, he's not talking about coming back for a picnic either. And I want to be able to say that at that time, that X amount of people have gone to that website. You yes. follow what I'm saying? We need to. There we go. Yeah, That's a yeah. good one. You, they, because sometimes, sometimes, and I really mean this, sometimes I say to my colleagues, don't forget who sent you here. It's the consumers that sent you here. It's the, our constituents. And they need to know that people are going to that website. So 
you know, instead of, uh, you know, emailing all your friends, uh, just go to the website about five or six times a week. <laughs> and we, we appreciate that. All right, yes. Professor Warren, my, you're a perfect segue into what I was going to say, because my daughter Pam is working with you on the mortgage disclosure form. Wonderful. You're Pam's mother? Yes. That's fa- Pam's fabulous. <laughs> she is. And I would say that even if her mother weren't standing here. But it actually is true. Pam's terrific. She is. Thank you. Thank and you. I know she's worked really hard on the disclosure form, and we went and voted for the Rosebud, I want you to know. Oh, good. Okay. And I encourage everybody to go. That's what I was going to say when I got up here, was good. to encourage everybody to go on on to the website and vote because it's amazing what they have done with the disclosure forms but I did want to ask you one question about it everybody's worked so hard on it I think it's going to be great how do you get everyone to use it once you get it out it's like everything we start with this we get it right we get a lot of stakeholders and we talk with a lot of folks who want to use it and then we go to the next phase and the next phase frankly is to get out there and sell it uh, the financial institutions will use it. Oh, yeah, financial institutions will use it because that's how they comply with the law. So it's going to replace, and, and they want to use it because it's going to, re- uh, most of them want to use it. Because it, no, I'm serious. Most of them do want to use it because it's cheaper to fill out for them. And it's great. And so this is one of those, this is one of the very, I, I hope the first of many times when good competitors who actually want a chance, they say, I'll, I'll compete in a market where it's straight up, are saying this is a great idea, let's make the prices clear on these mortgages, let's make the risks clear. They're supporting us on this, and we're getting enormous support, of course, from consumers. So please, go to the website Pam's mother told you to. Hi, Professor Warren. Hi, Hi. Uh, Representative Cummings. Um, actually, uh, I guess to follow up on the disclosure forms thing, you can go to Facebook and sign up for We Want Elizabeth Warren, <laughs> And uh, that's how I got my updates, and I'm one of the 14,000 who's uh, commented on the second. Fabulous. Thank you for your comments. Um, I just wanted to say, we, we've got 200, maybe 300 people here. Uh, obviously, you know, voting is still important, but voting is not enough for people to exercise their civic duty and exercise the voices anymore. You have a lot of forces against you. You've got 200 or 300 people in this room alone tonight who are behind you. Where can we put our efforts? to support you. Who can, we, who can we exert the most pressure against to get them off your back? So, thank you. It's a wonderful question. There are, really, two things you can do. I'm very serious. Go to our website and follow us on the website. Click the Follow Me button. That way you find out what we're doing and keep coming back and participating in the website. The second thing you do, there's a reason we have representative government. To the extent you support the congressman with your emails, with your cards, with your letters, the congressman is there in Washington to be able to help this consumer agency. And that's what we need. Thank you. Make sure you, um, sir, the, the, um, and I can't emphasize it enough, um, the, the going, the Congress needs to know that constituents are paying attention to this. Yes. That, that is so important because uh, Ms. Warren said it a, a little bit earlier, sometimes I think people think that there is no other side. Sometimes when I'm sitting in a committee, I'm just wondering, well, who do these folks represent? Um, you, you understand what I'm saying? So they need to know that, that you are out there, that we are out there. 
and that we care about these issues. And it's just like, and that they are the Mr. Tarvers of the world. And, 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 and people who really want, to, want this to happen. And, the, and that they're paying attention. And they are not just, you know, getting it, you know, from the fair and balanced uh, All right. I, I don't, I, certainly I'm more than happy with my representation within Maryland. I'm a, I'm a resident of your district, but I think the problem is not, certainly not from your side. Right. I think it's more the people who are represented by certain people from California and perhaps from North Carolina. Um, they do not have as much representation and as much voice, and if their voices are mentioned, I think, that, I think it's more likely that they're dismissed. How do those people get representation? How can they get behind this thing if it seems that their representatives are not really representatives of their constituents? That's a, that's a little tough one, but still, when I'm telling you, just listen to what I'm saying. When Elizabeth Warren comes to our committee on uh, July 14th, uh, I am I am I am the num I'm the highest ranking Democrat, and it's going to help me to say that you know what I just looked at the website today, and gentlemen and ladies, uh, you want I want you to know that that the website has attracted X amount of traffic. You, you follow what I'm saying? So, and from all over the country, it's not just going to be from here. It's coming from everywhere, and we need to get that's why. But we've got, and that's how they begin to say, well, wait a minute. Did, did, People do care about this. It, they do matter. They are informed. I think a lot of people just assume that we're going to get snippets of news, that we're not going to get involved, that we're not going to act. And just little things like that make a difference because it, then it gives me some, some, uh, a weapon to use. Okay? Uh, all right. Um, I have two questions, but they're very short. The first one is, um, we definitely support you to be head of director of the Consumer Protection Agency. If not you, do you have names of people that you would support or that you know are going to be being put forward that then we can throw our support behind? Again, we would love for you, it to be you. And then the second question is, does the agency have education powers, particularly for high school students who I see now being targeted for credit cards, as well as by for-profit colleges, and then they get sucked into the student loans, and so I want to know how education might be a part of consumer protection. So I, I want to say on the point about director, it, it, has, it has gotten very difficult, and I'll just be blunt, because there are those in the Senate who have announced they're not going to confirm any director, uh, Republican or Democrat. Uh, and that's, so far as I know, the first time in our history anything like that has happened. So we're in a very difficult moment, and I know the president is working hard on this. I know there are a lot of people who are working hard on it. And right now, that's just as much as anyone can do publicly. On the question about financial education, yes. Um, one of the things I love best about this agency is it has multiple tools. It's got research capacity. It's got rule writing. It's got supervision. It's got enforcement. It's going to have consumer complaint. Uh, that we will roll in over time, but it's getting there. We've got the first pieces in, we'll have them in place. And it has financial education and financial literacy as part of our, our basic uh, obligations. Part of what makes this terrific is it means we will be able to build a platform, be able to do some real testing around what works, and be able to have a sustained push throughout the country on financial education. Think how it'll work. We make the product simpler and more straightforward and then really put our energy into financial education. 
how people can do budgeting, how they deal with those products. We really can use the multiple levers of this agency to make it a lot more economically secure world for American families. So that's a good point. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, I've got, we've got a, what we're going to do, we're going to have to do these last few questions very fast. A lightning round? Here? Yeah. Okay. What, what we're going to do, you, we want you to just ask a question. Uh, I promised uh, Ms. Warren that she could be out of here by 8 o'clock. It's already 8. Um, yeah, 8. Um, so why don't we just very quickly, and if you want to, we can just, you can ask a series of questions. I'm sure she's got a phenomenal memory. Um, and then she may answer them however she chooses, just very quickly. Thank you. Shortest question of the night. Uh, is there any reason why President Obama can't make a, a recess appointment? Uh, I'll just do that one quickly. Yes, right now Congress will not go into recess. So this is a, this is a nasty game that's going on in Washington. Okay. Um, as uh, London goes from uh, depreciated cash flow analysis to more of a risk-based approach, um, how are you guys going to try to regulate that? Christopher Banks from Good Jobs Better Baltimore. Uh, BG&E and Constellation are planning to merge with Exelon, but cannot guarantee that BG&E customers will not, will not have future rate hikes as well as protect workers from eventual job losses. So if this merger is not good for Baltimore, how can we prevent it from happening? Uh, hypothetically, uh, no matter what you do, uh, if somebody wants to take 10 years paying off a two-year loan uh, because they choose to keep up with the Joneses, why should everyone else have to pay? Uh, and I was going to go into saying, like, much of what I've heard today talks about uh, government attempting to extend this range and strengthen this grasp on the American people without taking into consideration the hearts of men. Uh, all of these sweet rewards that many politicians attempt to seduce us with uh, at the end of the day, how can the informed consumer be assured of their God-given right to choose and to choose abundantly? Okay. Thank you. Good. Alrighty. So I can do these quickly. Mergers, I'm sorry, it's just outside our lane. I'm, it's, not, it's not what we do at the consumer agency. Um, on the question of how we shift over time in accounting principles, it's a good question, but the bottom line for me really goes to the answer that you ask. I believe everybody should know what something costs. It's that straightforward. I believe everybody ought to be able to see the risks. I teach contract law, and I've taught it for God, 30 years now. I believe in contracts, the basic promises between two people, and the law comes in and enforces them. But the underlying principle is that both sides get to understand what the deal is. There's a cop on the beat to make sure that it's not one side and their entire army of lawyers and whatever they can hide in the game that will then be enforced by the government against individuals. I believe in the right of anyone to choose his or her economic destiny, but that means they've got to have full and fair and clear information about what's going on. That's all. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want to do two things very quickly. I want to thank the Enid Pratt Library. They do a phenomenal job. We are, we are so blessed to have Enid Pratt and Carla Hayden, uh, who heads up the library. And also want to thank my staff, who sometimes work seven days a week for little pay. I want to thank them for putting all this together. And once again, please, please, she needs a lot of encouragement. <laughs>
and uh, uh, she needs a good send-off. So give uh, Professor Elizabeth Warren another hand. Thank you.